Today, we're going to continue in our reading of Acts. And today, there's, I'm going to read an entire chapter, a few verses from last week, but then I'm going to read all of chapter 23. So I would like for you to turn in first to Acts 22, verse 30. And what I have been doing is asking you to stand. I'm going to ask you, for those that can stand, to please stand for the reading of God's Word. How many of you have been able to go to Candlestick, or not Candlestick, is it AT&T? What's the name of that park out there now? Huh? It's AT&T? How many of you have been able to go to the World Series? I didn't see the hand. How many of you have been there? One. Anybody else been to the World Series? You've been able to go to the World Series. That's the night that they lost, though. Um, how many of you have been able to watch the World Series on television? How many of you? Who didn't miss a game? You didn't, didn't miss a game. Wonderful. How many have been able to listen to it on the radio? Radio. Has there, any, has there been anyone here that has not been able to listen to or watch the World Series? One, two, three. About four, five. About five people. Six, six Hold your hands high if you haven't watched or listened to the World Series. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. About nine people. Ten. Ten people. That's actually pretty, pretty good. Ten. Ten people. Brother Jerry, don't take my thunder. You're just, you're just stealing all my thunder. Come on up here and preach, Brother Jerry. No. <laughs> I'm just messing with him. Now, how many of you people have not missed one day of reading your Bible? Those who have watched the World Series. How many people read their Bible at least once a day? Uh-oh, not as many hands. How many of you have prayed at least every day? Okay, okay, all right. Okay. All right, good, good, good. Okay, all right, well. I'm going to just leave that there. Okay? I'm going to leave that right there. Right there. And I think it speaks for itself. Right? All right. We're going to continue on here. <laughs> Lord, bless the word today. Bless the servant. May we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 22, beginning at verse 30. And I'm going to then read straight through chapter 23. Acts 22, beginning at verse 30. The next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, and I am reading from the NIV, 86 edition, 84 rather edition. Let me start over. The next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. Chapter 23, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, you dare to insult God's high priest? Paul replied, brothers, I did not realize 
that he was the high priest. For it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection, and that there are neither, neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Chapter, verse 9. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. The next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Verse 13. More than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin petition the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about this case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. But when the son of Paul's sister heard of this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, Take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul the prisoner sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside, and asked, What is it you want to tell me? He said, The Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give in to them, because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have, been, until they have killed him. They are ready now waiting for your consent to their request. The commander dismissed the young man and cautioned him, don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. Then he called two of his centurions and ordered them, get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at nine tonight. Provide mounts for Paul so that he may be taken safely to Governor Felix. He wrote a letter as follows. Claudius Lysias, to His Excellency, Governor Felix. This man was seized by the Jews, and they were about to kill him. But I came with my troops and rescued him, for I have learned that he is a Roman citizen. I wanted to know why they were accusing him, so I brought him to their Sanhedrin. I found that the accusations had to do with questions about their law. But there was no charge against him that deserved death or imprisonment. When I was informed of a plot to be carried out against this, the man, I sent to him, I sent him to you at once. I also ordered his accusers to present to you their case against him. 
So the soldiers carrying out their orders took Paul with them during the night and brought him as far as Antipatris. Excuse me, that should be Antipatris. The next day, they let the cavalry go on with him, and they returned to the barracks. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's place, or in Herod's palace. Please say with me, under God's direct protection. Under God's direct protection. You may be seated. Point number one, and I have today three points that I hope to get, uh, get to. Point number one, Paul before the Sanhedrin. Paul before the Sanhedrin. Um, one of the things that we have in our land today is the Supreme Court. When the courts have, um, are, are talking about a case and if they are, are trying to adjudicate a case, one of the things that they will do is hear the information and if by chance the case needs to go further or the lawyers don't like the ruling, they can appeal the case. And so, therefore, it keeps moving up the chain of the judicial system until eventually, depending on how big the case is and how controversial it is and how many the courts, if they're ruling in too many different ways, the Supreme Court will take that case, possibly. If the Supreme Court takes a case, that generally settles the matter of what the lower courts have been struggling with. When it reaches the Supreme Court, that's it. In most cases. <laughs> Generally, we meet, need to understand that the president, the Supreme Court, the judges are not to make laws. They are to interpret the laws and apply the laws that are already set forth. Today we have a lot of activist judges deciding and choosing and changing laws that they don't like to hear. That is not their job. Their job is to interpret the law. Years ago when I used to vote, I still vote every year. Don't want to make it seem like I don't vote. <laughs> the way it sounded came out like I don't vote. Even though my vote sometimes don't mean anything, the way they change things. But anyway, getting back to what I was saying. When voting used to take place, the way people voted, that was it. If you didn't like it, you changed it four years later. Today they have lawyers waiting to change what they don't like. We have groups today, activist groups, if they don't like it, and lobbyists who are living in Washington, D.C., and they are with money and power buying law and legislation. So there's a lot of corruption in the land today. So your vote years ago when it was given, it used to be it. And so therefore you had to live with what the people decided. That is no longer the case. Today people vote 
And the judges turn things over if they don't like it. Not based on what the people voted, but based on what they want it to be and what popularity or what the popular, the most popular opinion is. If we are in agreement with the world, you can almost count on that you will be in disagreement with God. God's laws, and remember this, God ordained the laws of the land. In other words, he ordained powers. He ordained government. It comes out of what God has ordained. But it is important to note that the Bible says that those that are in power are to govern rightly, not through corruption. Anytime I go to court, I want to be able to get a right and a good decision. The Sanhedrin in the Bible here that we read is the highest court in the land that the Jewish people have. It is considered to be equal to what we would say is our Supreme Court. So that what they said go. Now, given that they were still under Roman rule, the Roman government allowed the Jewish nation to be able to have their own laws even though they were under Roman captivity. And so the Sanhedrin was made up of the chief priests. It was made up of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. These were the two leading powers of the day. We say today you have primarily the, the Republicans and the Democrats, leading powers. They influence a lot. The Sadducees and the Pharisees had a lot of power. And the Roman government allowed them to make decisions and to rule and to make changes that affected the Jewish people. So when Paul was taken into custody and brought before the group, remember this, Paul was first being beat up by the mob because basically Paul was not liked because of what he preached. He preached truth and he preached righteousness. If you preach truth today and righteousness, you are not going to be liked by the populace. You're going to be called a hater. You're going to be called a person who's not with the times. That may be the old day times. That's not longer the wording that people like to use today, but it's still right and true. So people want to be uh, um, around people that are saying that which is popular, not necessarily that which is right. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were a group that didn't even like each other. And if I remember from my study years some time ago, and this may not be right, the Pharisees came about, they were the, kind of a strict group, but they came about during the time of what we call the Maccabees. I think that's how they first came out of that time period. The time period before the, at the closing of the Old Testament and before the New Testament, that 400-year period, uh, uh, that time is when I believe the Pharisees, part of them came to be. But, but, but the point here is that the Pharisees and the Sadducees did not like each other. And they had two views that were diametrically opposed. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in angels, and they did not believe in spirits. The Pharisees believed in all of them. They believed in the resurrection. But let me say something very important. That's even further down in my notes. I'm going to say it now. And that is this. It's not so much what you believe. It's how you live out 
what you believe. Now, when I say that, now then listen carefully. It is important what you believe. But the Pharisees believed in the they believed in, in spirits. They believed in the angel resurrection, but they hated Christ. We know that there's demons. We know there's angels. We know there's spirits. We know that Christ rose from the dead. But believing or believing in that is not good enough. Just because people may be talking religious talk don't mean they're saved. We've got a lot of people today talking religiously, but they're not saved. We've got a lot of people saying the right types of words, but living in sin. And so we have to be careful that just because something comes out of a person's mouth that sounds right does not mean they're living it. And so the Pharisees, even though they believed it, they hated Jesus and they hated Paul. And they agreed, the Pharisees and the Sadducees both agreed on that. They didn't like Jesus and they didn't like Paul. Anytime there's a group of people that are diametrically opposed and hate one another, they will come together and join company if there's somebody else that they hate more. Groups that may be warring will come together if there's somebody else that they don't like. And that's what's happening here. The Pharisees and the Sadducees don't like Paul. They don't like Christ. They didn't like the fact that Christ was popular. He said he was the son of God and all that he did. The world does not like God. So we need to stop trying to appease the world. We tell them what the Bible says. We tell them truth. We're friendly. But we tell them that which is right. So as Paul is before the Sanhedrin, made up between 70 and 72 members, we generally want to say 71, but right in that name, you say 70, 71, 72, you would be right. But the Sanhedrin... This body was governing, and this is where now the, the commander of the army of Rome, the Roman army, who was stationed in Jerusalem, he calls the group together because there's a problem with, they have with Paul. And yet the commander says, I can't figure out what the charges are. There's a lot of people wanting to accuse you, but they have not laid any correct accusations and in fact they haven't even said anything they're just throwing out stuff and there's no accusation there's nothing that this commander can put his hands to Paul in his in his in his words as he begins knowing that both groups are there and as he stands there and begins to speak he does something that could be problematic, but it's very intriguing to me. Knowing that the group and what their views were, because remember, Paul was a Pharisee. He knew the argument. He says, I perceive, I'm, I'm here today because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. I believe, he, he began to say this is what he believed. And the two opposing groups, one said, that ain't right. The other person said, I don't have a problem with that. And because of what Paul said, they began to fight with one another. And there is Paul standing back, looking at them going back and forth. Do y'all know some people today? They'll get a rumor started. And, and, and the people 
that 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 ain't, that's not even there. All of a sudden, they become enemies. Began to try to fight, kind of fight each other. And another person is the one who says something that started it. And they ain't nowhere to now to be found. That is so common. They'll say, "Did you hear?" You got to be careful. Got to be careful. Got to be careful. You know why? Because you're gonna be fighting somebody else's battle based on somebody else's word. And so what we have to remember is that we have to make sure we have the correct information and source. Paul has not even been accused. And yet they want to kill him. But Paul, we need to understand, as he stands before the Sanhedrin and utters these words, a fight breaks out between the ruling classes. And while they are arguing and while they are fighting and while they are about to go to blows, Paul is in the middle. And the commander is so concerned because he says, man, Paul is going to be torn to shreds. And the commander brings them together because he's thinking, if anybody should know their law, the Sanhedrin should know. If anybody should know what's going on and can bring some clarity to me, it should be the Sanhedrin, this group, the Supreme Court of the land. They should be able to settle this. But this group starts fighting. And the commander said, what in the world now am I going to do? The very people that I'm thinking have the answers don't have the answers. And so as Paul is before this group, and has put out there what he believes. And this group begins to argue. The commander tells his troops, go down and get Paul. Go get him quickly. He's about to be torn to pieces. Let me ask you this. Do you do what the word of God says, or do you only say words, as I said, with your mouth? Does, does your words match up with your lifestyle, or does your lifestyle match up with your words? Do you talk a better game than you live? Now, there's some people like, now, Michael Jordan says, you know, you know, Michael Jordan was good. But Michael Jordan, I think he got cut when he was in college the first time. When he went to basketball, college or high school, it was high school, high school. He got cut. People said, Michael Jordan, Yes. Michael Jordan, who somehow learned how to defy the laws of gravity and is jumping and is playing and became the greatest player in the NBA, Michael Jordan. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. But his words, and he didn't even say a whole lot, but he was able to back up whatever he said by what he did on the court. Muhammad Ali, Cassius Clay. I knew him as Cassius Clay first. Some of y'all too young to know him as Cassius Clay. But he would always talk a good game. He, 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 he could talk you and make you mad. That's what he wanted to do. But in the ring, he could back up. 
whatever he was saying, and make it look so good as he's dancing and talking to you. There are some people who think more of themselves than they really are, on the other hand. (laughs) And so you can have both extremes. But I need to tell you this. There is nothing that God says that he cannot do. God has the ability to say something and to back it up every single time. God has no shortage of being able to bring to completion his words. In fact, God's word is so important that he says that not one, not, not one tot, not tit, not one, one little, was it jottle, tottle, tittle, tittle, jottle, tittle. All right. <laughs> it's going to fall. To the ground. There's nothing that God says that will ever not come to pass. And yet we have the inclination and the audacity to believe people and to doubt God. It is the Lord who is able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. God is not limited. He's not limited in any capacity. He's sovereign. He's great. He has no limits. When you think about it, God, who is infinite in wisdom, there's no bounds to his wisdom, says, I'm going to see you through. And we hang our head down and say, I don't see, Lord, how it's going to be done. I have to imagine that Paul, as he is before the Sanhedrin, is going to go back. Paul got discouraged at times. And it is so fascinating what God does, which brings us to our second point, which is being comforted by Christ himself, being comforted by Christ himself. Acts 23, verse 11. After Paul is taken back to his cell or his barracks, wherever he's staying, the Bible says in 23, verse 11, the following night the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify about me in Rome. Dr. R.C. Sproul said that, that the English here is very weak. The Lord stood beside him. That's a weak rendition of that verse. He says that, that, that Jesus filled that place. The presence of God filled that place where Paul was. And told Paul in a very commanding voice, be constant. When he told him that, be cheerful, go on, you're going to stand. He's saying, be constant, meaning Paul, just like you've been preaching the word of God, you're going to do it in Rome as well. Be constant. Don't give in. Don't change your message. We have a tendency to change our message. When we get scared, we change our words. You better have something already all laid out of what you're going to say. And then you got scared. And all of a sudden you, couldn't, you can't say it. Or you won't say it. <laughs> I imagine that Paul had some concerns. And the Lord came and comforted him and told him, Paul, don't give up. Don't give in. Be constant. What you've been teaching, you're going to say the same thing in Rome. There was, do you remember before when Paul was in Corinth? 
if you look back a few chapters, you will see that, that when Paul went to Corinth, the Lord came to Paul there as well and encouraged Paul. And, that, and, and as I was studying this and looking at this, I said, man, the Lord comes at a time in our lives and comforts us right when we need it most. You see, Paul knew the crowds, as I told you at one time before. He knew when a mob was about to begin. He knew when his life was, close, was, being, was in danger because he was able to see this crowd is getting very hostile. And it was at a time when Paul would be, would be concerned that Christ came and stood there. And it's amazing to me that the Bible says that Christ came, not that he dispatched an angel, but the Lord stood by Paul. How important is it in your life when you're going through something and you don't know which way to turn and you're saying, and Christ himself comes and stands and says, be of good cheer. You're going to continue and you're going to make it. And then there's also a corrective measure that happens. The Lord may come and say, clean it up. Turn with you from what you're doing. And honor me. I love the words when the Lord says, take care, take courage, and keep going. Ah, I thank you, Lord, I'm doing the right thing. But boy, when a rebuke comes, mm, we, don't, we don't generally want that. But the Lord encourages Paul here. And I have to imagine that Paul's heart is encouraged. And in both cases, when you think about what happens, the next day something dramatic happened in Corinth as well as here. In this case, as the Lord stands beside Paul and encourages him, I have to imagine that Paul took great courage and he was, he was uh, uh, um, renewed in his spirit. I can imagine that Paul might have been thinking, add back, you know, the Lord told me not to come here. I, I, I recall when I first started, I even told him that, that the Lord told me not to to come back to Jerusalem. told me to leave. And, and people start warning me, don't go back to Jerusalem, Paul. Danger awaits. And as soon as he gets to town, he's arrested. And only for a very brief period after this time is Paul released again in Rome before Nero takes him back into custody and kills him. But, but this is one of the, the times where Paul's freedom is now gone when he comes to Jerusalem. We have to be so mindful and careful that we follow what Christ says because we don't know the pitfalls, nor all the dangers that's out there, all the snares that awaits us. Don't you know that Satan has traps for you, planned out for you? Don't you know that, Christ, that Satan has things prepared for you to fall? But Christ has already said, if you follow me, you're going to be victorious. I told you all this. Some years ago, when, when, when my wife got married, boy, our best fights was on Saturday, so that we came to church mad on Sunday. Inevitably, something would happen on that Saturday, and we, it could be something very small, and we would start arguing. Mess up my Sunday. Angry with one another. I heard Pastor Paul saying not long ago when he was preaching that he and his wife, they were having arguments, and then... Some people, some saints came uh, and said, hey, hallelujah, Pastor, glory to God, y'all. He said he felt so fake. 
We have to remember and we have to watch. We were in that situation and we came to realize that, wait a minute, Saturday night is not a night for us to be arguing. And that was the night because Sunday the next day was coming. Be sitting in the organ all upset or the drums and doing something, just mad. And then we had to work on it even at the time when we recognized it. Had to work on that. Be careful. Satan has traps for you. He has things prepared for you in order to snare you. When things are going well, be careful because a trap is coming. Satan, he's, he's already got it already lined out for you. Be careful and watch. The Lord stands by him and encourages him. Moving right on, point number three. Roman protection provided for Paul. You find that in Acts 23, 12 on. Up to this point, we have never even heard that Paul had a sister or a nephew. Never mentioned in Scripture. Never knew that Paul had a sister or a nephew. But it is stated here for the first time, and this is the only time in Scripture that we hear Paul's nephew and the last time. Only right here do we see that Paul has a nephew. The enemy wants Christians to die. Can I, can, I, can I say that again? The enemy wants you to die. Why? Because he does not want any people that he already has to be converted and go to heaven to be with the Lord. Do you not know that this fight is bigger than you and me? Do, do you not know that this fight is a fight that Satan has with God? And because you are made in God's image and Satan hates God, he's after you? Do you, do you recognize that Satan does not, he doesn't like you just not a little bit. He doesn't like you a whole lot. He considers you a foe, an enemy. Satan does not have your best interest at heart. He tells you, go and eat that whole cake. It ain't nothing wrong. Just eat it all. It tastes so good. And he'll even then cut a slice for you. Here, have some more. I got some milk for you too if you want some milk. He'll feed you and feed you. But behind what he does is always a purpose. He wants you sick and he wants you to die. He doesn't tell you that he has laced something with what he puts there. Always behind what Satan does is poison. Poison. Now, I used to think that castor oil was poison. Anything my parents said to me was good for me, they didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> they really did, but, but, but it didn't taste good. They said, it's good for you. Take it. It don't taste good for me. I don't want it. Put a little something there to be in it to make it taste sweet, and then they'll put the whole thing in your mouth. Time my mother made some liver for us. I forgot, what do we think it was? Steak, yeah. 
cooked it up all nice. Oh, we just have sit down and go, oh, have to have some steak. I don't know what, what, what made all of us that day bite into it at the same time because it was just looking so good. Bit into it and everybody goes, liver! <laughs> and my mom says, eat it! <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Liver. I think that's the last time I've ever had liver. (laughs) Protection. When the Lord told Paul that he was going to minister, the Lord allowed Paul's nephew that we've never even heard about to be in the right place at the right time hearing the plot of what was known at this time called the Zealots. The Zealots were a group who hated the Jewish leaders because they felt that they had been betrayed by the, by the Romans. So in other words, they felt they were working with the Romans, and therefore the Zealots hated the chief priests and the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But yet this group comes together because they have even a more hated person, and that's Paul. Do you not know that in Scripture that it's believed that Judas Iscariot was a... You know that Simon, one of the disciples, was a zealot? A zealot was a person who was radical. Radical in this day. Like ISIS that we think about, that's what a zealot is. And so when we look at these 40 men, it's Paul's nephew who hears what's happening... And the Bible says young men. Now, you need to understand when the Bible mentions young, it could be from a young teenager up to a person in their 20s. So, so, but because of Claudius Lysias taking him by the hand, we believe that maybe he was younger. But he hears, and it's interesting that he has entry to Paul. So he goes to Paul, and he tells him the plot. Now, here's what's fascinating to me, a couple of things. Number one, Paul calls the centurion. A centurion was a soldier who has command over a hundred. And he tells this centurion, take this young man and take him to the commander. The commander often would rule a group of soldiers that's a thousand. So commander Lysias would generally have command of at least a thousand, and this centurion under his command Paul tells him something. Now get this. How many guards at San Quentin are doing what the prisoners tell them to do? How many people in prison have the ability to tell a guard, you better just go do this? I said, what? But in this case, Paul's influence and how God moves allows Paul to call the centurion, says he has something to tell the commander. Goes to the commander with the young man and says, Paul says, the prisoner, he, that this young man has something to tell you. This commander then takes this young boy, this, this young man, by the hand and takes him to a place of privacy and says, what do you have to tell me? He tells him what he heard. Now that's, 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 that's something. He goes, oh, young boy, you don't know what you're talking about. Go on about your way. Shh, chew on, chew. He doesn't do that. This commander says, now I want you to do this. 
do not tell anybody that you are here. And keep quiet about what you told me. About time that young man had stepped 20 paces past the commander and gone outside. For some people, he would have been, have been all over Marin City. Sausalito, Tiveron. No. <laughs> it is commendable that this young man was told and he didn't say a word. And guess what? Because of God's glory and faithfulness. Now, now, now understand, there are times when God would do things miraculously or he would just use what's already available. Here it is, the Roman government and the commander Claudius, who then says to two centurions, this is what I want you to do. I want you to get hundred of your men, two hundred, two of them. In fact, let's read it. He says, and I'm going to be out of here soon. Our time is just about up. Then he called two of the centurions, verse 23, and ordered them. Get ready a detachment of 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen, 470 Roman soldiers to guard one man. 470, this commander called to Paul's defense. Look at this. Four, get this. 470. These zealots were prepared that if Commander Lysias had given into their, their request, they were willing to die in order to kill Paul. They figured, we know the Romans are going to fight, but we are willing to take the chance. But the commander said, tonight at 9 o'clock, take him before the request can even come in. That's what God does. He's always ahead of the curve. When you live for God, he's always ahead of the curve. That's the God that we serve. And he took them, and these 470 began to go towards uh, Caesarea, which was 60 to 65 miles from Jerusalem. When they got about halfway, the cavalry took them the rest of the way because the danger would have passed. God knows how to protect you, and he knows who he can, he can even take the Roman government, those that are actually not even your friends. And calls them to bless you. We need to stop doubting God. When God says, I'm going to, to deliver you, he knows how to do it. When God says, I'm going to bring you forth and bring you through, he knows how to do it. He says, I know the plans I have for you. Good plans. Plans to prosper you. Not plans to harm you. God has great plans for his people. And the good thing about God, he only knows how to do that which is best. So you never have to think or feel that you're getting second best with God. Only knows how to do the best. But we often don't want the best. <laughs> but God only knows how to give and do the best. Stand to your feet. Are you under God's divine and direct protection?
The only way to be under God's direct protection is to be in the will of God. Is to be his. If you are not his, you are outside the ark of safety. Salvation is something that's already provided for you. But the walk, you must walk, is something that you've got to do with the Lord. Salvation is all, that's already been provided. But you now have to walk Wow, how God has called you to go. It's not a walk based on how you feel. Not a walk based on their own thoughts. It's a walk based on what God's word says. God told Paul, you're going to Rome. Didn't tell him how he's going to get there. He got there. Shipwrecking everything. He got there. You may come in on a broken piece of board, but God knows how to get you to the end. And some of us, we're on that piece of board right now. But God says, if you trust me, I'll bring you through. God, in this place today, we pray that our hearts will be transformed and that we will allow ourselves to be under the direct protection of God, that we will allow you, Lord, to take us through, not just to the beginning, but help us to go through and to trust you. Help us to be a people that's willing to listen to God, a people that's willing to obey God, and a people that's willing to, Lord, honor you. We love you today. Bless us and help us to be a blessing to other people. Keep us in your care. May we walk in holiness and in faithfulness, Lord. May we not give in to seducing spirits. May we not give in to ears. Oh, my God, or to words that are not honoring to you. But God, hear what the Lord says. Just like Paul told his nephew to go to the commander, to go to the centurion and take him to the commander, it was because he was willing to hear and to hear and listen to what the Lord said. We thank you today. Now we pray that in our deepest, Lord, distress, that you, O God, help us to know that you are right there. And have, Lord, not only the, the ability, but, God, it's your own great pleasure to take us through. Thank you right now that you are an almighty God. We do love you. We do thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.